0: Hey, Olive Branch. Before we get started today in our series here, I want to take a minute and ask that you join with me in prayer over both the situations in Afghanistan and in Haiti, just some massive things happening out there that are affecting our brothers and sisters in Christ and just people made in God's image all over the world. And so would you join with me for a minute here? We're just going to lift up all of those uh, situations. So Father, we bring before you uh, the situations that you know fully well, and we thank you that you are in control over all things, over all governments, that you are Lord of Lords, King of Kings, um, you're God of Gods, and we ask that you would indeed please help our brothers and sisters right now in Afghanistan who are who are looking at potentially death, or who are looking at um, trying to escape into other countries, who are wanting to stay and preach a gospel, amidst the people who, who despise the gospel. And God, we just ask that you would give them strength, give them wisdom for all of the Americans and those who are longing to get out. Give them a way out. Help us in this crisis and this situation. We just, uh, can, just are considering all the bloodshed and all the horrors that are happening there. And we just thank you that you're in control of it. You will judge it all one day and that it'll, it's in your hands. And God, with Haiti and just the amounts of suffering that are going on because of earthquakes and things, pray that you'd bless those who are there who are able to help and care, give them wisdom and direction. And enable their sufferings to be reduced. Um, God, in the turmoil of everything happening there, bring them uh, a gospel that uh, brings them out, and they rise higher and higher. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the things that I really want to engage with as we jump into this new series called Knowing You is really this idea of personality. Now, I got introduced to personalities back when I was in my freshman year. A teacher, a freshman teacher, actually brought out a just whole a whole exam and it was all on the myers-briggs personality and so we are taking this test and this assessment and eventually we got this information and she was all excited she runs up to me and she's like you are the only and she names this personality test in the class and it's a rare percentage and she was all excited about it and tried to really dig in with me and, and find out what i wanted to be when i got older and all this stuff uh, what she didn't know was inside, it was stroking my pride. It was making me feel bigger and bigger and more amazing because I'm unique. And <laughs> little did I know it was an arrogant position and a horrible, horrible thing to be thinking of yourself in those ways, right? And it didn't help me with my friends who I was already trying to show myself uh, greater than in many ways. And so i would just always been interested in personality since in a lot of ways. But the bottom line for me was I wanted to learn a way to understand myself without it leading to pride. And I think that's what I've seen on a lot of people who dive into personality ventures, who dive into understanding themselves. And the more they get to know themselves, the more they begin to compare themselves to others, the more they begin to think of themselves in such an amazing way, and, and we end up with what our culture is struggling with, pride. And I want to challenge us that maybe, what if the Bible potentially gave us a way of examining ourselves and understanding ourselves that wouldn't lead to pride? Would we be in for that? We want to have a knowledge of ourselves that didn't lead us to be puffed up, but to be a kind of people who are able to care more and be more loving. And in this series, knowing you that we're getting into, I hope that you'll not only get to know some of your personality, you'll begin to understand how all of you made in the image of God works in this world for the sake of others and not puff you up. Because here's the thing. In this series, we know that it it depends upon your knowledge of who you are for you to grow spiritually. In fact, we're going to be looking at this text um, or in this area every single week, and it's Romans chapter 12, and I'm just going to refer it here on the screen, and we'll go to another section later. But it says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of the faith that God has assigned. Now, I love this because it's talking about spiritual growth. It's talking about the fact that if we're going to grow spiritually, we're going to know what God's will is. Well, part of that is to understand ourselves rightly, not to think of ourselves too highly, and I say not too lowly, but to think of ourselves with sober judgment just Right judgment. See, to develop spiritually, we need to know ourselves rightly. And that's the critical goal of this entire series to know ourselves not too much, not too little, but with a sober judgment. And I hope that you'll join with us as we go through this series with a small group. If you join a small group, get engaged with that. Because what we want to do is we want to be a people who understand who we are so we can develop spiritually rightly. Because there are wrong ways to understand ourselves, obviously. Uh, it says that we can think of ourselves more highly than he ought to think. That means we've got the wrong perspective. Uh, We're thinking with pride. Last week, we looked at the rich young ruler who thought, hey, I've done all the commandments. I've got it made. I'm good. He thought of himself wrongly with, with too high of a perspective. Some of us think, well, I'm a good person. Others of us think, you know, I'm just a horrible person. I'm just not creative. I'm not very smart. I'm just not a smart man or whatever. And here the bottom line is you've knocked yourself too low. We want to look with sober judgment. We don't want to consider ourselves on the right side of history because I know what I'm thinking about or whatever because the bottom line is this leads to pride. Pride in our thinking, pride in our activities. We end up condemning others. We end up destroying each other. And I want to be the kind of people who understand where we are so we can grow spiritually. And the reason why, again, is like we saw last week, if you don't know where you are, you don't know where you're going. If you don't understand where you're at, you're just basically lost and you're going to be roaming around. You may know your destination. You want to be like Jesus or you want to be smart or you want to be whatever. You just going to be lost. You got to know where you are if you're going to know where you're going. And that's our aim. And the bottom line is we get these ideas about ourselves because to be honest, we're just looking at the wrong direction. See, it's the outside world that shapes us. It's the outside world that designs and moves us. Notice what it says. Don't be conformed to this world. So it's that outside input rather be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, you may discern what the will of God is. And God's outside of us. So there is this sense that we're transformed by the outside. And we get lost when we get so focused on ourselves. Now, th- this, this is easily illustrated if you've ever been to the beach and out on a surfboard or on a boogie board. You'll be floating out there. You'll be talking to your friend. You'll be focused on your board, thinking in your head, surfing that little wave or, or catching that wave or whatever. And, and when you finally get a chance to look up, You realize you've drifted way, way, way away from whatever your family is or that dock is or wherever you were at because the current has pulled you. The same thing is true in our world. It'll pull you along. And if you are too busy gazing inside at your navel and trying to figure yourself out, you're not going to be aware how the world has been pulling on you. You're not going to be aware of who you really are. and And you and I are going to be lost, lost, lost. We're going to be all over the place. So what I want to promise you this, in this series is this. I believe that we're going to get to know ourselves rightly. I'm, I'm challenging myself to get to know myself rightly. You the same. We're going to look at four different factors and, no, on the outside of us that tell us who we are. Then we're going to look at one on the inside, and we're going to set a plan to grow spiritually because our goal is to find out where we are so we can move forward in our spiritual lives so that we can know what the will of God is, which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Well, our first aspect then in this series is this. I want you to know yourself rightly. And I want you to know yourself rightly. And to do that, you got to first know God. To know yourself rightly, you must first know God. Now that sounds weird. People are like, what? You got to know God. How does that help? I mean, like some of us have an imaginary God. Some of us have an idea that God is, is just kind of this being in a book and that's about it. But look, God is a real being. He's really alive. We'll get into that in another series here. But I really want to engage with you with the fact that this God that can, you can know can shape you because he's outside of you. In fact, the bottom line is what you actually value and you love will shape you. The Bible said this, and I believe they were right, in talking about these, these idols that were being made, the Psalms. in Psalm 115 puts it this way, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. And basically their point is these gods that they were making were the ones they were worshiping. And when they were worshiping, they were becoming like them. I mean, we're no different We have our ideals, our idols, those we idealize, people, our heroes, those that we long to be like. Maybe it's an amalgamation of of different people around you. Maybe it's your mom, your dad, something like that. The bottom line is these are the people that shape us. We judge ourselves by them. We want to be like them. And so when we get into this, I want you to realize as you love God, as you engage with God and you know God, he's going to wind up shaping you because this is how we're made. We're made to be shaped by something outside of us. You say, really? Yes. I mean, this happens on page one. If you have a Bible, it's your time to pick it up, open your app, join with me to Genesis chapter one. And in Genesis chapter one, you're going to find a a verse we've covered many times, but I want to kind of use it as the core anchor of everything we're going to talk about in understanding ourselves. And this is the verse that speaks of us as being made in the image of God, in the shape of God, in the way that God has made us who is in the outside and shaped us to be like Him. Check this out, verse 26. It starts off, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And what we have here is a powerful verse that God is the original. God is the kind of that that imprint that you're going to push into the clay. We're the clay that gets shaped by God. And so the only thing is that when we love something, when something's outside of us, it's going to mold us and make us like it. And so God says, hey, I've made you like me. Let's make them in our image, in our likeness. Let's make them in the image of me, of God. We are here to represent God. And so this means something. As we journey in going to know ourselves, the first stop on our journey has to be getting to know God. And so get to know God. We need to get to know God because He is who we're based off of. He is the one that we are like. If if you want to get to know yourself, go meet the original because you're the derivative. Go meet the original. You're the image of it. And so this is the case. We want to get out there and explore and see what we're like. Let's look at God. Look, like I've told you, I've taken lots of tests, lots of them. I've taken the ocean test, which is a personality test out there. The Enneagram. I've taken the Myers-Briggs disk the four humors test. Yes, I've even taken the Disney character test. And by the way, I'm Aladdin. Hey, that was cool. But anyway, yeah, I mean, what's going on here? We got all these different trying, kind of tests trying to tell you what you're like. And if you take a sophisticated test, like the Myers-Briggs Enneagram or something like that, they're going to try to tell you how you're going to act, what you're going to be like. They're going to give you all these different traits. So you're going to read through them and go like, yeah, that's just like me. Nah, that's not really like what oh, But that is, and it gives you the sense that somebody knows you. Somebody's figured you out. Like I fit a pattern. This is really weird. And it gives you an eerie sense that you are in a mold like everybody else. Now, this is the same thing that happens as you dive deep with God. You're not based off some pattern mold out there of different human beings and these personalities. You're patterned after God. And every human being doesn't have to have a special test. They have access to the living God who's ready to show them what they're like. You see, when we see God, we begin to see ourselves rightly. We begin to understand who we are. This happened for Job. Job was complaining and whining about his life, and it was horrible and awful. And his his friends are like, it's because you're a sinner. And he's like, I'm not, and I don't know what God's doing this. He's a mess, and suddenly God shows up in a whirlwind, and what does Job have to do? He just goes, Pff. I didn't realize what I was saying. Now I really figured it out. God's presence changed him. And when Isaiah is, sees God, he goes, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. He sees himself rightly. When Peter encounters Jesus at a miracle, suddenly Peter's like, get away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. He saw himself rightly. There's something about being in the presence of God that helps you see yourself rightly. Just like being in the presence of a personality test makes you feel like, oh, I finally see myself. I got words to say something. And I'm not knocking personality tests. I think it's good for us to take them and look at them. But I do think that there's a better way. What you're looking at there is really kind of a derivative of a derivative. We're just kind of taking what humans are like and extracting from it these tests, these ideas. But what I want you to do is go get the original. You see, when you examine the original dollar bill, when you examine an original $10 bill and somebody hands you a fake, a counterfeit, you're going to understand the difference and you're going to understand the similarities. You'll be amazed at how close they are together. Well, the, the same thing happens when you approach God. As you approach God, you're going to get to see how he, the original, has, is like you, the derivative, you, the copy. Now, you're going to notice how we've been twisted and broken and sinful, but we're going to save that for the last, nearly last week of this series. What I want you to do is marvel at the fact that God made you in his image before there was sin, and that meant that when you looked at God, there was a pattern you would see that you would resonate with that would say, oh my gosh, this is how I'm like God. I get myself better. I understand me better. And I want to encourage you to do that because like a personality test, when you get to know God, you're going to see that pattern. Now, I'll give you a warning here. We're about to dive into some deeper theological waters and that can give you a bit of a headache, make you be grasped, gasping for air or something. Maybe you're going to turn off and move on. Please don't. Enter into the confusion. Wrestle through it. You're going to find riches at the other end if you're willing to take the time to dive into just a little bit of confusion and theology because it's important that we grasp that God has made us in His image. You see, the image of God, as I like to define it, is really all of God's attributes reflected in us as human beings, communicated in us, that the things we see about humanity isn't about us. It's really a little fleck of who God is. Now, we're not God, so I want to clarify that, but we represent God. He, all of his attributes are reflected in us. And we can see this because Jesus, who is the perfect man, was also God, right? Now get this. It says that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. This literally means he was God. He is the living God in flesh. He is the ruler over it all. That's what firstborn means, not first created, but the firstborn means he's got the rights and rule over all the stuff. And look, the bottom line is that Jesus, who is God, is man. That means man's attributes can reflect God and the image of that invisible God, the perfect image of that invisible God. And what I like about this, then, is that we can see that the traits of God are shown off in us, in humanity. And so um, what we want to dive into, then, is that these personality traits that we see in these tests are actually oftentimes closer linked to something theology has already talked about, and that is this idea of God's attributes, now, again, this is that deep dive spot, so I want you to hold on for me because I'm going to challenge you with a little bit of theology. I'm going to challenge you to go read a little bit of theology, and you say, why would I ever read theology? Look, if you think theology is hard, it's not. What it is, is it's the crib notes, it's the, it's the cliff notes or the spark notes, whatever generation you're in, of 2,000 plus years of thinking about God. What theologians do is they take in all of this conversation about God in these certain areas and they put it together so we can understand it. And one of those things that has come out of the 2,000 years of history in the church are the attributes of God. And When we engage in these attributes of God, they can give us knowledge about what we are, about our personal capacities and makeup, and ultimately even about our character. And I'm going to divide those into those three things. So let's start here. Let's start with this idea that God's going to help you know what you are. You are just not yourself. You are a self. I want you to know your self with a space, right? Because all of us are a self. We're all a human being. We all have a particular nature. And when you examine God, you're going to see that God has a particular nature. And we reflect that in a small, limited way. Now, check this out because all of these are the same in all of us. I'll give you a few of them. I'll let you dig deeper on your own in a theology book, but let's try a big one. This big one's called aseity. You say, aseity, what? Aseity, aseity, what? No, so aseity means say to be unto himself, God's independence. He is self-existent. He doesn't have anything that makes him exist. He just is existence. Ow, my brain hurts, right? That's how that kind of stuff works. But here's the funny thing. You and I reflect that. You say, oh yeah, because I exist into myself. No, we exist off of God. And when, because of that truth, we know that, as Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but upon every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We exist because God wants us to exist. We exist because God exists. And so we may stop, but God doesn't. We are in his desire. So we have a lean on God. We are like God in that we can't change. You can't change your nature. You can't change and stop being human. You can't stop being you. You can't become someone else. It's not possible. You have a sense of eternality. God is eternal from from far before the beginning and far past the end. We have a starting spot, but then we will not stop. We will continue on in immortality. Just because you die doesn't mean you stop. You will, keep, you will keep going on even past death. And this is this case. We image all of these different things from being all present in our bodies like God is all present in the universe to being completely unified and you can't break us apart to being completely um, invisible in our spirit as God is the invisible God. So we have all these attributes. Now what I want to tell you about these is they're important to know. Why? When you don't have these right, when we begin to believe that we are changeable in our very nature, that I'm not the same person I was as a kid or all those kinds of things, the I isn't the same. When that happens, you will become what we call disintegrated. And I'm not saying you're like disintegrated, like I'm saying you're no longer integrated in yourself. You will have major problems in your life if you believe that you are the one who has to sustain your own existence. Carry that on yourself as you begin to believe that the world around you is existed. It's called a God complex, and you'll start to fall apart. But when you understand that you don't sustain reality, when you don't make reality, when you are leaning upon God, hey, He provides for you. He is the God who is over you. He's the one who calls you to certain things. All the weight of that stuff of carrying the world begins to go away, and you integrate. If we believe that we can truly change in our nature, that me as a man can become a woman or I can cease to be a human, become an animal or something like that. The problem that occurs there is the natural nature disintegrates. Now I can't be solid in who I am. And we're claiming that, in fact, human rights go away because I'm a human and you're a human. What does that mean? It's whatever I think it means and I can change. And so no longer am I like you. So much of reality begins to fall apart. We dis integrate. We start to fall apart. And so we need to understand who we are, that these things don't change. And then as you get to know God, you will become more integrated as a human being, not less. As you begin to see who God is, you'll start to realize what a human being is. And the more you do that, the more firm your existence and your thinking will become. And a lot of our struggles as human beings in our modern time is because we've abandoned trying to figure out what our nature is like. And so we'll start there. The next thing, though, is that when you examine God's attributes, you get to know God, you're going to learn something else. You're going to learn your capacities by knowing God's attributes. What's a capacity? I hesitate to use this word, but a capacity is something that God has in his infiniteness that's not moral, right? God's omni-intelligent, right? He has got it all. We call it omniscient. He knows everything, He has huge, massive intelligence. He has huge, massive creativity. It's infinite. It doesn't have any limitations. But when it comes to us as human beings, it comes to us at different levels, different capacities. Remember, God said, let's make man in our image after our likeness and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heaven, over the livestock, over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. What's important here to note is God wants us to take care of his world. How can you and I take care of his world, his world, if we don't have everything we need to do so? And so God provided humanity with his attributes, with his image, with intelligence, with creativity, with will and the ability to make decisions with sovereignty, leadership. Some of us are, are going to be more leadership-oriented than others. Some of us are more revelatory. We're, we're more expressive and we're less expressive. We're more extroverted or we're more inter, internal or external, right? There's all these pieces that are actually just like God in order to engage in this world. Now, the thing is, we all don't have the same amounts. Look, when it comes to intelligence some of you have been given the 67 fluid ounce intelligence, right? Some of you have been given, oh, you know, the 16.9 fluid ounce, the 500 milliliter or whatever. And then some of us, you know, we all else, I could, I could have gotten the, the seven ounce, but the bottom line is all of us, 12 ounces, 16 ounces, all of us have been given different capacities. Look, some of us Some of us are actually super intelligent. That's awesome. Some of us aren't as intelligent as others. Some of you are super creative. Some of you are super orderly. Some of you are super not orderly. For me, when it comes to God's presence in my life, me being available right there with you, here's the thing. I'm even smaller than this. I've got a tiny one, okay? God didn't really give me a whole lot of that presence stuff. Call it ADD, call it what you want. But the bottom line is it's not evil. It's just, I don't have a ton of it. Now, do I walk around going, woe is me, are you not present with people? No. But I realize what God gave me, I need to fill it up. This isn't a comparison game. There is no value in what size God gave you. There's only uniqueness. Because while some of us have big intelligence and others of us are big in creativity and others of us are big in different forms of creativity, you may be creative in your relationships. You may be creative with art and objects. You may be creative in your mind with thoughts. That's awesome. Some of you have a relational intelligence, some of you have a mental intelligence, and some of you have an emotional intelligence. Excellent. This is the thing. Don't judge yourself ahead of time. Just because you think somebody else has more than you, guess what? You can grow that capacity because you've only filled it up so much. Say you've only, you've got a giant capacity of intelligence, but you were told you're a dinky intelligent person. And so you've only ever filled it up to here but you now in the presence of God, knowing that God has given you intelligence because you have all these attributes, fill it up. Who knows how big it is? Who knows how much he's given you? You don't want to stop. You just want to realize God made me intelligent. Yes, everyone's intelligent. Everyone has presence. Everyone has creativity. Everyone has order. Everyone has will. If you don't have these things, you're not human. So that leads me to tell people stop knocking yourself. Stop telling yourself that you don't have this or that, that you're not smart or you're not this, I'm not creative, I can't do that. No, God has made you creative. God has made you intelligent. God has made you to represent Him as He's called you to represent Him. This means something. He didn't make a mistake in making you, He intended for you to be here. He intended for you as a unique individual to reflect him in the time that you're in as the person he's made you to be. And so I want to challenge you. Discover who you are. Know these attributes of God and see that they're in you and then begin to explore and see how far that capacity to go. You may discover, hey, yeah, I'm 16 ounces. Woohoo!" Because I'm big old 64 somewhere else. And so what we want to be able to do is celebrate who God has made us, and not criticize. Value, which we'll get into later in the series, has nothing to do with your capacities. And so I want to challenge you to consider that. I want you to dive in deeper to these various attributes. How in the world do you find out more? I'll give you a few things. Number one, and uh, there's a book by A.W. Pink called The Attributes of God. You can check that one out. Or Knowing God by J.I. Packer, excellent book. And I want you to see about those two books and check them out. Even even better, if you would like to join us, over COVID during last 2020, uh, we made an entire series on the attributes of God where I go through and I describe two attributes in about 45 minutes. It's a a fire hose of information, but I think it's worth it. You'll find those on YouTube. We'll be linking to those. So I want to encourage you guys to dive in and take some time. You're going to discover, oh my gosh, God made me. I see it. I see what I'm like. This is so cool and you're gonna be able to engage even further in your spiritual journey. But there's one more set of attributes that I've left out. And these attributes can help you see your character. Now, what do I mean? As we grow, we wanna grow in character when we're challenged by God's character. There are certain attributes called God's moral attributes. Right, we know one of these. When we, and when we get into 1 Timothy, we're called to certain moral attributes you know, flee these things, pursue righteousness or justice, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. We did the whole sermon on this. And what we want to be is the people with this kind of character. I want to have a godly character. I want to have a righteous character. I want to have a loving character. What happens is I want to pursue this kind of moral character because it's going to reflect God's character. All my intelligence, all of my creativity, all of my Lack or lack thereof or, or presence, whatever you want to say, all comes through my character. And here's how I want to explain it. Say you got this awesome person who has just got, you know, the super size of intellect. And man, they are so capable of knowing all this information, all these things. And we're like, educate that guy, educate him. He's got so much ability. And yet what we discover is that you've just educated a monster because he is a morally horrible person. He has none of this character. And so what he does, he uses all his education to be cruel. He uses all this education to be untrustworthy. He uses all this intelligence to, to be unjust and angry and just completely flippant, my friends. Do you see how education doesn't change the character? Just as teaching somebody to be orderly and organized won't change their character. Just as seeing somebody who, who to make better decisions and faster decisions doesn't change the good of their decisions. We want to be the kind of people with a moral character who pursues these things. And when you find moral character, you're going to discover all of these are attributes of God. When you check out the books, you're going to discover, oh my gosh, God has all these moral attributes. Remember? Anyone who does not love God does not know God, John says, because God is love. There's an attribute of God. God is love. We have love. We're supposed to love like God loves. Wait, what? Yeah, all this attributes, all this capacities, being human, reflecting God is supposed to come through the way God would do it in the love that God would do it. See, God has all kinds of moral attributes. We find them in the Old Testament. When Moses is asking to see God's glory, the Lord passes before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful, there's an attribute. Gracious, there's an attribute, slow to anger, he's patient, abounding in steadfast love, there's an attribute. Faithfulness, of steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, so he's not unjust. And he's gonna visit the iniquity, so he's going to bring retribution. These are all of his moral character right there. In fact, the Hebrews found 13 characteristics of God in this text: moral attributes of who God is, that He's loving and He's just. That he's wrathful and forgiving. That he is this God who is able to be steadfast in his love and yet his patience will wear out. I mean, this is incredible to understand that this is also a description of how we should be in God's image. I need to be slow in anger, abounding in steadfast love. I want to be faithful. I want to pursue faithfulness. I want to keep steadfast love for thousands, right? I want to be forgiving, but I don't want to be unjust. And I do want to allow God's retribution to come. All these things need to be there. And when we get this, what we discover is my character is there. And when my character comes through, man, I'm going to act more like God. I'm going to be like Christ. And praise God that we're not left alone for this. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, here's the thing. And the only way to be released to actually see this character flow is by having God's presence in your life. And so it says the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of God's presence in our life is this love and joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I did my thesis on this, my master's thesis, and the bottom line is these are the definitions of Jesus' character coming through us. You become more like the image of God. The parts that have been twisted and broken get untwisted because you see your capacities. You know why you are what you are, and now you see how to use them in this world for the betterment and the good of others so that we can rule his world as he would have us rule his world. And what we see here is this powerful opportunity for you to get to know yourself, to dig in. Which of these needs to be changed in me? What do I need to grow in? And as you get to know God through prayer, through being in the word, through studying these things, these are the places he will challenge you. The other attributes of your capacities, of your nature, those are things you need to learn and make sure you're integrated with and understand about yourself. But God is going to confront us directly when it comes to our character. Because he wants us to change. And as you do a step in that character, it will develop that character into a stronger character. As you take self-control, you're going to have more self-control, not less. And so what we see is this is going to grow. And this is difficult as he convicts you and he calls you. You're going to need to persevere. The only passage I know that really shouts about how you produce character is in Romans 5. And it says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Because we know our sufferings produce endurance. Endurance produces... Character. Character produces hope. We have to endure. We have to go through the pain of making sure that, hey, this character is going to be worth it, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to go out for what God wants. I want to be like God. No pain, no gain. I'm going to use all these wonderful capacities for the sake of God and watch what He begins to do. And I want to encourage you as you dive in to take time to look through those lists of attributes. They're out there on the Internet. They're out there in those books that I've mentioned. They're there online for you from our, um, from our summer study from last year. And I want to encourage you to begin to examine these things, to look at yourself and examine yourself in accordance with them in your small group using our discussion guide. And you're going to discover, wow, all kinds of ways that you are imaging God. But you're going to discover how it's coming through you in your character. And I want to challenge you because it sets you up how to, how to plan to grow in your character this year. How is it that you're going to take a step forward? What are you going to do differently? But really, I want to challenge you with this final thought. See, I've, saw, I've seen churches that have dedicated months to studies of the Enneagram or the Myers-Briggs types, or whether you're a beaver, otter, or a golden retriever, and knowing yourself in these waves. I've watched play, people get obsessed with personality, character typing, and all this stuff. I have been there. But I'll tell you what, what would happen if a church got obsessed with God's character, figuring out what he was like? seeing what he was like, and and going like, oh, I see how God is this and that. If we were all aimed at the same passion, knowing God like we're knowing ourselves, guess what you'd discover? You'd find more about yourself than you ever imagined. I want to encourage you to dive into that. I want to encourage you to go even deeper. As you gather in your groups, I want to pray a blessing over you. God would begin to show himself to you so that you would see yourself. Let me pray. Father, I ask that that would be the very case that you would reveal yourself to everyone who's watching, to all who are engaging in this study, that we would see who we are. You are our original. You are what we are imaged after, and we want to know you so we can understand who we are and who you've made us to be. And God, from there, would you challenge us then to begin to grow in our character and use these capacities you've given to us, not to judge ourselves and others, but to allow ourselves to do what you called us to do on this earth. We thank you for the chance we've had to study this, Blessed we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.